Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of my pillow, here to tell you about my Giza Dream bed sheets. I made sure that they would be everything you'd ever want in a sheet set. I started with the world's finest cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all meet. The long staple cotton makes my Giza Dream sheets ultra soft and durable. They come with extra wide pillowcases to fit over any pillow and extra deep pockets to fit over any mattress. Not only that, they come with my 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. And now you can get the best sheets ever for the best price ever. When you buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheet sets, you'll get another one absolutely free. I personally guarantee that they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Specials for the buy one, get one free offer on Giza Sheets. All you got to do, Renegade Nation, is enter the promo code RENEGADE or call 1-800-889-6817 for these great specials. That's 1-800-889-6817. Use the promo code RENEGADE. Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens! Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night, frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries, but I promise all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's dark enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, we have a listener suggestion, and I was fascinated by the email, so I hope that I do it justice. But it's a ton of Nordic names, so I'm bound to screw those up. So if nothing else, it's going to be funny. So stick around to see how badly I butcher them. All right, with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours. So choose your poison accordingly. All right, now for the game part. How about every time I say cave, that will be a single shot. And every time I say fire... That will be a double shot. All right. Now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma. So grab your cold weather gear as we head out into the land of fire and ice and we explore today's episode and the mysterious cave of the fire giant of Iceland. That's right, Iceland. Woohoo! Okay. When you think of Iceland, you think of its beautiful natural attractions. The lights, the glaciers, the geysers, Bjork. Everything is so beautifully put together. <laughs> it's best if you're an outdoor lover, as most activities and must visits are really close and deal with nature. Blue Lagoon is one of the top tourist destinations. 
It's a beautiful spa with mineral-enriched water that's healthy for your skin. Aside from that, make sure to drop by Thingvellir National Park and, here we go, Jokosarlan. <sighs> I know you guys are laughing because I am because I can't pronounce it. Which is one of the most stunning tourist attractions that you'll ever, ever see in your lifetime. There are plenty of activities that await you here, such as swimming, hiking, and, well, waiting for the lights specifically. It may be a most romantic trip for couples, but it's also perfectly suited to be enjoyed by families. And it's a beautiful land with lovely people. But even as our world moves on and charges out into the future... There are some places on our planet that have mysteries and secrets firmly and adamantly buried in the past, hiding away from the light of discovery and the eyes of civilization. Such locations and their ancient peoples, when uncovered, often serve to baffle and confuse as we try to piece together a picture of them and look into their strange world with only the fragments and pieces that they've left behind for us. Out upon a remote and lonely expanse of Iceland lies one such place, an ancient cave steeped in legend, myth, and unsolved mysteries. Around 930 CE, in the land of fire and ice, not long after the first major settlement arrived, a large volcanic eruption ravaged 90 square miles of the Borgarforgner region of Iceland's western interior. What resulted was the Halmundurhan lava field. Out across the cold landscape of western Iceland, just a few hours drive from Reykjavik. And that one I know I got right, because that one, well, it had a pronunciation for it. <laughs> Anyways, just a few hours from Reykjavik, and below its basalt surface, 12 lava tube cave systems which sprawls out over the desolate rocky terrain. Here is a barren looking bleak volcanic realm of craters, smoking fissures, and networks of caves and various lava tubes forged by gurgling fresh molten rock long ago snaking out into the earth. And the hole looks very much like the surface of some alien world. Looking upon the eerie beauty of this place, it is easy to understand why this land once inspired myth and legend. And indeed, the Vikings who first laid eyes upon this domain of fire and ice, starting from the 8th century, would have likely been unfamiliar with such volcanic power. Held enthralled by the scope of it all, their legends and mythologies subsequently forged by it all. The legends associated with this place are reflected in the name of the longest of Iceland's lava tube caves, Surtschiller, named after Surtur, the Norse elemental fire giant of myth, often also known ominously as the Scorcher and Blackener, who was prophesied to be the one who will at Ragnarok at the end of time, to raise the earth with a fiery sword and destroy all life. Surt's cave houses one of the most well-preserved Viking Age stone structures on the island. 
Additionally, mysteries of bandit occupation, human mutilation, and the propitation of the fire giant surround this black cave. Although there are many caves in Iceland that have evidence of temporary habitation, Sertschilir is unique. Radiocarbon dating of animal bones from within the cave indicates that different groups use the lava tube consistently for up to a hundred years. The cave was probably still warm at the time. The cave Schitschelir stretches into the earth for about a mile, with jagged walls that can span up to 40 feet in diameter, and with a ceiling that ranges from 2 to 10 meters in height. It is a spooky and rather treacherous place to enter, its floor eternally covered in ice and sharp volcanic rock, all enveloped in perpetual darkness, occasionally sliced through by light stabbing in through several natural skylights caused by ancient cave-ins. Throughout the complex can be found lava tubes, natural caverns, eerie cave formations known as speleothems, and the side caves Vigishilir, meaning fortress cave, and Binishilir, bones cave. It is all a rather breathtaking view to take in when illuminated. But besides its unearthly beauty, Sertschilir is also known for its many legends, colorful history, and ancient mysteries. Researchers Kevin Smith from Brown University, and I'm going to apologize, Gunmundur Olafsson, of the National Museum of Iceland. I apologize, I'm sure I butchered your name, but I have great respect for you, so please forgive me. Were the first scientists to conduct an archaeological survey of Sert's cave. In 2001, the team conducted an initial investigation. Then, in 2012, they returned to gather a substantial amount of evidence. Their discoveries within the cave weave a most intricate picture filled with oh-so-many possibilities. Their summer of their first official exploration in 2001 proved to be warmer than usual. This allowed for substantial ice melt-off that revealed hidden structures. About 300 feet into the cave, they discovered a large fortification wall that runs the width of the cave 30 feet across and 15 feet high. Previously, this wall was covered by snowdrifts that blew in through the collapsed roof of the cave, but subsequently became exposed in 2001 due to the warmer weather. Originally, this area of the cave was shrouded in complete pitch-black darkness. The wall would have been formidable to build, and in the case of an intruder, difficult to scale in the dark. This would have been raised in the dark, well above people's head height, totally sealing the cave. There's not a doorway through it, there's not a ladder way up through it. It's the largest stone construction from the Viking Age in Iceland. According to Smith, Olafsson, and McGovern, in their 2009 paper, Suchilir, a fortified outlaw cave in West Iceland, and I quote, The amount of labor and effort that had to go into the construction of this wall suggests that it is the work of many men and that it probably served as a fortification to stop intruders. End quote. Farther back in the cave, there is a side gallery called Benhilir, or the Bone Cave. 
This section once contained a large heap of bone fragments that were gone by the time of the archaeological survey. Unfortunately, tourists had been removing massive amounts of bones for many, many years. But past the bone cave lies perhaps one of the most well-preserved examples of a Viking Age structure. A stone enclosure runs across the cave. What it was exactly used for is, well, a mystery. Possibly a house, although there's very little evidence to this. Temporary shelter, maybe. Gatherings, or something more religious like a place of ritual and ceremony. The enclosure is well delineated with a short wall that curves around in the shape of a Viking Age hall or boat. The structure measures about 20 feet long and 10 to 15 feet wide at the center, while the wall is 3 feet tall at its highest point. Taking up the entire width of the passageway, the enclosure blocks off the gallery that leads further into the deeper part of the cave called Vighishler. There is one opening in the front of the enclosure and one at the back facing into Vigshilir. Next to the enclosure is a midden pile containing animal bones that had been cut up, smashed, and reduced to tiny fragments. Whoever deposited the bones undoubtedly retrieved every last drop of bone marrow for sustenance. Although there may have been about 200 animals in this original bone heap, visitors to the cave pilfered a great deal of the midden. And inside Suchilir, there is evidence of human activity dating as far back as the 10th century. The researchers found a total of eight bone heaps around the cave. Testing indicated that they consisted only of domesticated farm animals, goats, cows, pigs, sheep, and horses. According to Smith, this is the only cave that had strictly domesticated animals in the bone middens. They did not contain any wild animal bones that would have been indicative of the hunting activity typical of early Icelanders. If people did actually live in the cave, the, ev the evidence suggests that they did not hunt for their food source. In addition to the structures in Surtshiller, the team also found jasper fire starters, beads, and a set of lead weights in the middle of the enclosure that added up to 26 grams. One of the weights bore the shape of a cross. This may be the oldest Christian artifact in Iceland. According to Smith, the legal ounce in the old Scandinavian system was 26 grams until the 11th century. Ounce units were used for various payments in legal transactions and as a fine if someone was guilty of breaking a law. This led the researchers to theorize that the pieces may have been used in some kind of legal proceedings. The reason why someone had placed the pieces in the cave is yet another mystery. The archaeological findings in the cave revealed definite human activity that probably began in the 10th century, but who those humans were is still uncertain. Although it is difficult to determine just how much truth legends provide, Icelandic tales of bandits and outlaws living in caves have been told for nearly a thousand years. The first mention of Sutchilir comes from the Icelandic Landnamabuk, or Book of Settlements. This manuscript details the settlers by name, their offspring, the names of their settlements or farms, and brief stories about the people beginning in the late 9th century. 
The book attests to a group of 18 outlaw cave dwellers that were killed, although it does not specify the name of the cave. This story, however, does parallel legends about 18 outlaws who lived in Sertchelier and made their living raiding farmers' livestock. Additionally, in the 14th century Hartsargaga, an outlaw said to have fled from a fight with farmers near Velgnor to have taken refuge in Sutchilir with six other outlaws and then to have gathered more outlaws in the cave with him. And in the Helismana saga, Sutchilir is identified as the base of an outlaw band that fortified the cave in the late 10th century, preying on the surrounding countryside until routed by a coalition of local chieftains. And I quote, there were many outlaws during the Commonwealth period, 930 to 1262, which was characteristic of a great deal of internal strife in Iceland. The various clans on the island were vying for power and control. Therefore, murders and injuries such as mutilations were culturally common. When someone broke the law, the typical punishment was a fine, outlawry, or exile. Outlawry me meant lifelong expulsion from the law. An outlaw lost all rights guaranteed by the law and his property was confiscated. Sources, sources such as Landnemubuk mention multiple groups of outlaws that banded together and lived in caves. These outlaws apparently left behind evidence of their existence in the form of numerous bone piles found throughout the cave, always from domesticated animals and every last bit of marrow removed and the bones oddly not scorched by cooking fire, as well as various man-made objects such as doorways and fortifications. However, for as interesting as this history as a bandit hideout is, there are deeper archaeological mysteries to be found here in the cave of the fire giant as well. One such mystery is that presence of a massive wall measuring 40 feet across, 15 feet high, and composed of enormous stones, each around four tons in weight. It would have most certainly have been a daunting project to undertake in the cold, e eternal blackness of the cave, and archaeologist Kevin Smith from Brown University, who was one of the first real researchers to investigate Suchilir, along with his colleague Gunmundar Olofsson, has said of that enigmatic wall, and I quote, This would have been raised in the dark, well above people's head height, totally sealing the cave. There's not a doorway through it. There's not a ladder way up through it. It's the largest stone construction from the Viking Age in Iceland. The amount of labor and effort that had to go into the construction of this wall suggests that it is the work of many men and that it probably served as a fortification to stop intruders, end quote. But would a ragtag bunch of outlaws really go through all the effort to build such a wall? And if so, how did they do it? Well, no one really knows. Within the cave is also another inscrutable and enormous man-made structure in the form of what seems to be some sort of hall, with entrances on each side and niches carved into the walls for unknown reasons. There's also a strange oval arrangement of stones in the side cave called Vigshalir. It's 22 by 11 feet in dimension and with the stones piled a few feet high arranged in a pattern reminiscent of the shape of a Viking ship besides which a pile of animal bones that had been broken and hacked apart. The anomalous structure looks almost like it could have been some form of enclosure, perhaps even a house or an area for gatherings or rituals, but nobody really knows for sure, 
just adding to the mystery and the allure of this cave. Further fueling the mystery of the cave are some of the other various artifacts that have been uncovered here. Among these are the various Viking-era beads that were found, and in fact the cave would turn out to be, as Smith says, one of the largest assemblages of beads at any site in Iceland other than burials. The green, blue, and yellow beads were found to have been coated with a very rare and expensive arsenic-based yellow pigment, not found anywhere else in Iceland. And there were no black beads. Why were they here, and why were there no black ones? Nobody knows. Other items found were what they called Jasper fire starters, a sort of early version of matches, as well as a, le- a set of lead weights with a total weight of 26 grams and of the type normally used as a standard for weighing payments and legal transactions in the Viking days. And perhaps strangest of all, one of those lead pieces was in the shape of a cross, a very rare and early sign of Christianity in this snow-swept isolated island. It was also found that the fragments recovered from the various bone piles scattered about had been composed of hundreds and hundreds of animals and deposited over the course of approximately 80 to 100 years, making all of this very odd indeed. An interesting find by Smith and his team is that although Schertschillier is said to have been inhabited by humans, there is very little evidence to show that this was ever a permanent residence at all. There's very little evidence of fire usage, no food preparation equipment or storage areas, no water collection sources of any means, or any means to transport and store water, and a complete lack of latrines, because we know we're going to have to go. Or any clear areas in which to sleep, just those enigmatic structures and the piles of bones. Considering this lack of any sign of the basic necessities for permanent habitation, it seems that the cave was likely only used on occasion and for very short lengths of time. But was this the case? We don't know. One theory proposes that Surt's cave may have been a place of pagan religious ritual. One example stems from that Lennem book, which said that a man by the name of Thorvald Hollowthroat traveled roughly 90 miles to Surt's cave specifically to recite a poem that he had written about the giant that dwelt within the cave. This sheds some light on the religious beliefs of the Icelanders at the time. What we today call Norse mythology was once an entire system of religious beliefs. They were not just merely stories. The Norse people of the region long considered it to be a land of lumbering Jotnar, or giants, and the dark confines of Sutchilir to be the lair of evil spirits and ghosts, and those who would penetrate down into the gloom were often warned away as those who entered were said to have never been seen again, taken away to be devoured by these spirits. Old legends even claim that the mighty fire giant Sutir himself resided here in the depths, along with his devastating powerful sword of fire, and will come to destroy us all as he sees fit. This talk of vengeful supernatural forces did not dissuade outlaws in the 10th century from supposedly using this cave as a place to band together and eke out a living despite the scary myths, or possibly because of them, as who would willingly go looking for them in a haunted cave? 
Banished from society, these outlaws then are said to have fortified the caves, made them a home, and used this place as a base of operations from which to make raids into nearby farms and towns, taking their loot and livestock to scurry away back down into the dark, dank depths. The power, the pantheon of powerful gods and beings were very real for the Germanic people and included the Jotnar, or giants, such as Surt. The Norse people feared, worshipped, and propitated the powerful beings who often were the controllers of the forces of nature. According to Norse mythology, from the Jotnar the world was created. However, it is also the Jotnar who will destroy the gods and the worlds at the end of this cycle of time, also known as Ragnarok. Surt, or Sutur in Old Norse, has a central role in Ragnarok. He is the fire-bearing giant who will come from the scorching southern region of the cosmos to lead the other Jotun in the burning destruction of the world. Freyr, the god of abundance and fertility, and Surt battle and eventually kill each other during Ragnarok. The early Icelanders who witnessed the massive Halmunderhulun lava flow as it demolished possibly six farms would have been very in tune with the connection between the frightening volcano and the fire giant. Logically, they would have desired to appease the spirit to prevent another eruption from taking place. Perhaps the poem that Thorvald recited to the giant was an offering and a prayer to keep Surt's destructive forces at bay. Besides Thorvald's recitation of his poem to Surt, there may have been more intensive pagan rituals in the cave. As briefly noted, the archaeological team found pieces of jasper fire starters under the thin layer of soil on the floor of the enclosure. There were red, yellow, white, beige, and green jasper from eight different areas of Iceland. However, the cave did not contain any of the black obsidian that was closest to Sutschiller. Colors played a significant role in ancient religious rituals. Were the users of the cave pur- purposefully avoiding Surt's color, black? And who brought the jasper from the faraway regions of Iceland? Kevin Smith alludes to an important point. Why would outlaws travel so far just to stay in this particular cave? It is also curious that the second largest concentration of beads in Iceland came from Surt's cave. These were items of great value. They took time, effort, and resources to make. And once they were crafted into a necklace or other adornment, they were probably worth some kind of exchange. So why would there be such an abundance of different types of beads scattered about the cave? Did they serve as some kind of protection or offering to the gods? And the types of meats and the time of year the animals died in slaughter may also indicate ritual activity. Analysis of the bones indicated that most of the slaughtering had taken place around late winter or early spring. The Germanic people commonly held community events and celebrations as a way to venerate the gods, spirits, and ancestors for various purposes. And an important part of these events was the sacrifice of animals. Historically, various winter and spring festivals took place, and additionally, culling of the herds was sometimes necessary when winter hay supplies began to run low. This provided an opportunity to sacrifice animals as offerings to the gods or the giants, and to have a community feast. Horse meat had a particularly significant value for sacrifice, as did some of the other types of animals the archaeologists discovered in the bone middens. 
Healthy animals that had never engaged in hard labor also made for choice sacrifices. Interestingly, the analysis revealed that the slaughter of animals from the cave occurred in the prime of their lives. What the team did not find in the cave may be the most telling. They didn't find many indicators of long-term cave habitation, such as water collection sources, latrines, and extensive use of fire, cooking tools, or bedding areas. In the Islindinga saga, presumably written in the 13th century by the historian and chieftain Sturla Sordison, there's a story about two of the author's first cousins. One of them was the illegitimate son of Snorri Sturluson, author of the prose Edda, Oreka Snorrison, and the other was Sturla Sigvetson. Sturla was also a chieftain. Oreka was a thug who may have had something to do with the death of a friend of Sturla. This part of the story is very uncertain, but whatever the cause, Sturla Sigvitsen captured Oleka and took him to Suchiler. Once they were inside the cave, Sturla ordered one of his men to cut out Oleka's eye and one testicle. I'm just going to say, first off, you should be impressed that I have not completely lost my mind trying to say these words. I'm trying, though. I'm, I'm really getting there. Anyways, this maiming event may have also had religious implications. Because Odin is the powerful chief of all the gods, who sacrificed one of his eyes to the god giant. He possesses traits of both god and giant, Mimir. By doing so, Mimir allowed Odin to drink from his well of divine wisdom. In the text Grimnisol of the poetic Edda, Odin also refers to himself as Jok, meaning castrated or gelding. One can also speculate about why Sturla chose Surt's cave as the site for this act or why he took out only one eye and one testicle. Logically, the removal of the testicle is an act of emasculation. This deformity would forever ruin Oreka's manhood and his chance of becoming a high official. But could the maiming have been more symbolic than that? It may have had something to do with the belief that the powerful fire giant lived in the cave. Apparently, even though Christianity had been in Iceland for about 200 years, Sturla was still aware of the old beliefs. All of these very odd discoveries have suggested that while the mysterious cave may have very well once been used sporadically for outlaws to hide out in, there is also perhaps something more going on here, although no one's really sure what it might be. One theory is that the cave was used for pagan or cult rituals, with the strange enclosure and other structures having ritual significance, and the animal remains the result of sacrifices. The very valuable, be valuable beads could have been offerings in these rituals, and the formidable wall could have been to keep people out so the cult could work in secrecy. The Norse people of this time had a complex mythology of gods, giants, and spirits, and considering the importance of Suchilir in the stories of the fire, fire giant Surtur and his connection to the end of the world Ragnarok, perhaps these rituals were, so, were to somehow contain him or appease him, or conversely to seek protection from Freyr, a Norse god of fertility and Surtur's enemy, who also features prominently in Ragnarok. Smith himself believes that this purpose of ritual was the case and has quipped, the punchline is that it worked. The volcano never erupted again. 
and he is further said of the pagan ritual theory, and I quote, In my opinion, that story gives the best explanation of all the finds, but it seems that it's much more complicated than we thought in the beginning, and I don't think we have the answer yet, end quote. Whatever the case may be, it does seem that there was something more to this majestic cave and its mysterious trove of enigmas that merely just bandits and outlaws hiding out in could ascertain. However, what this may have been has ultimately remained an impenetrable mystery, leaving many questions swirling about with very few answers. So who built the structures within this cave and why? What is the significance of the beads, fire starters, weights, and bone piles? What does this mean? Why is there no sign of permanent habitation? Was this used as a hideout for outlaws or a ritual space for secretive cults working their arcane magic down there in the dark? Perhaps more mysterious is, why would anyone at all trudge across the remote moonscape of this charred, melted land of lava and angry giants just to use this cave in the first place? For now, it's unknown. And out here in this land of ice and fire, this realm of ancient legends steeped in magic and myth, Iceland's largest lava cave remains its most mysterious as well, keeping its secrets buried there in the dark as it always has. Today, Suchilir leaves us with more questions than answers, like why did they build that huge wall? Were they Vikings? Was it to protect outlaws or keep them out? Did it keep people from wandering into pagan rituals after Christian lawmakers banned such rituals? Why the avoidance of the nearest source of black obsidian fire starter? Why were there so many valuable, be- valuable beads from various countries? And why did the people bring only the choicest domestic animals' bones into the cave? Did beads and animals serve as offerings to Freyr for protection or to Surt in order to pacify him? And that's where we leave you today. And with that, we've come to the end of the episode. I thank you for joining me here today, and I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on today's episode and what you think. And by all means, make fun of my pronunciations, because I do my best, and unfortunately, I suck. (laughs) Anyways, you can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, hopefully with lots of Nordic words that I can't pronounce, or you just want to tell me what you think, you're bored and you need somebody to talk to, drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And on that note, my darlings, that is all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it, don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. (laughs) This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.